detail every week on a variety of topics to make sure we cover all there is to know and you can stay informed about your community. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday right after the evening news, only here on KBLF. So I've been at the station a lot longer than I usually am, <laughs> but um, we're going to be talking first, introducing who you are and kind of like how this came about and the ideas that spurred it on and what we're going to be doing and introducing the people to it. So um, why don't you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, before we get started kind of on the mission today, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about myself and what qualifies me to have these conversations with you. I'm an Alpine kid. I went to kindergarten at Alpine Elementary School and I graduated from Alpine High School. I went to college at Angelo State University and got my degree in journalism. And my first job out of college was in Fredericksburg at the newspaper, but I wasn't a reporter. I sold advertising. From there, uh, I moved to Austin, back to San Angelo, did some marketing, sold radio advertising, and then had the opportunity to move back to my hometown of Alpine when I took a job as the managing editor of the Alpine Avalanche. Um, I loved that job. But let me tell you, there are no specialists in small town media. You go from you know, Hector, you go from covering <laughs> yeah. city council to uh, border issues to running out to take a picture of a guy who accidentally grew a gigantic pumpkin in his backyard. Um, I did that for about seven years and got married and had a family and decided that I needed something more eight to five to be able to be home with my kids more. So I took a job at the courthouse and I was hired by the county treasurer to track court fees and fines, but they called me the utility player because I went from department to department just doing what needed to be done and trying to be helpful. And ultimately, I became the emergency management coordinator, which was also a very big job. But I learned so much while I was at the courthouse about government and policy and budgeting. And I was there also for about seven years. And I left there and went into some business development and marketing before I went to work with my husband, Joe, at Printco when we decided to expand our business. And that gave me the opportunity to run for county commissioner in 2016. And I won that race, and I was sworn in in 2017. And within a couple of months, I knew I wasn't going to run again. Not because I didn't like the work. I loved the work. But because even in our small area, a campaign is takes a, a lot of time and it takes a lot of time away from your family and I just didn't want to do it again especially in the hyper partisan times that we find ourselves in it was a four-year term it would have ended in December but I resigned in August and in the interest of uh, honesty and a clean slate I feel like I need to acknowledge that so when you run in a partisan election you make a choice and I ran as a Republican, and I still think of myself as traditionally conservative. But I did not think it was fair to continue as an elected official when I could no longer uphold the common position. The party and I were on divergent paths. 
We all make decisions so that we can sleep at night. That was one of mine, and it remains the right thing to do for my family. So why am I doing this? I am very concerned with the spread of misinformation and disinformation across this country. And there is a difference, and that is intent. So with misinformation, let's say there's a fatal car accident, and through the grapevine, we all hear that Joe Smith was killed, and it turns out that John Smith was killed. That's misinformation. That's a mistake. Disinformation is intended to be... Uh, intended to cause chaos. It's intended to harm and it's dangerous. I can't save the world, but I can be helpful in my little corner of far west Texas. I have a journalism degree. I've done journalism work. I've worked in government, healthcare, telecommunications, construction, education, sales, and I own a small business. I speak Alpine. I speak Brewster County and I speak information. It is my love language. And I think this is gonna be fun and I hope that it's interesting. With that said, let's get on to our mission. I don't wanna give any credit at all to COVID, but it has showed us some gaps in the system. For example, we found out over the last year, or I found out, maybe I was the last to know, that there are millions of children in this country who don't eat if they don't go to school. And we found that there are lots of families who don't have access to broadband. And that came to light when the students were forced into remote learning last year. To be fair, millions of jobs were saved by broadband. So according to Statista.com, as of April 1st, 44% of Americans are working full-time remote. Before the pandemic, that number was 17. Also, millions were able to continue to see their doctors through telemedicine or telehealth using broadband. Governor Abbott has made broadband access an emergency priority, last week saying that it is no longer a luxury, it is a necessity. And when I called Rusty Moore, the general manager of Bigman Telephone last week to see if he would be available for this interview, he was in Austin discussing this very topic. Rusty is the chairman of U.S. Telecom and the Texas Telephone Association and the commercial board member of the National Telecommunications Cooperative Association. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who could speak with more authority on rural broadband access. Rusty, welcome. Thank you, Betsy, very much. I appreciate you and, and Hector both um, inviting me on this inaugural, you know, uh, uh, trailblazing uh, discussion. For our uh, in our local area, it's uh, it's certainly an honor to be your first guest, and uh, you know I'll try not to mess up too bad. <laughs> Me too. We're glad to have you. Um, let's start with sort of the short version, um, thirty thousand foot overview of what's happening in the legislature with broadband access. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, Austin is well. It's always a very interesting place to say the least. This year is is uh you know certainly does not disappoint um you know with with about a little over 7900 bills being filed there was only about seven bills that really tied directly to broadband as one can imagine with the uh what's being billed is the disaster within the disaster which was ERCOT and the failure of our power grid and uh the horrendously you know frigid temperatures that we all 
experienced. Um, you know, the electrical grid just was not, you know, prepared for all of that. And, and so that has consumed so much of, of the 87th legislature. But there is one bill that uh, we've been watching that has passed the Senate. It's now arrived at the House as of April 1st. Uh, not to suggest any foolery being on April 1st. It just happened to hit there. It is an interesting bill that we're watching. It creates a state broadband office, um, which is promoting the expansion of access adoption to broadband services. So access is one thing, adoption is another, you know, from a pricing standpoint. And it, it establishes also an advisory council to that office, which is comprised of various stakeholders from small company ISPs, healthcare, IT, agriculture, seniors, county officials, education, all focused on, on rural broadband access. And it has really brought so much of that to the forefront. Um, we're encouraged by this, by this particular bill. We feel that it'll do well in the House and uh, will be signed in. And um, now it's not a regulatory body. That is a, another issue altogether. Um, as most know, we are uh, governed, we as in the industry, telecommunications are under the Public Utilities Commission, which also governs water and electrics. And there's discussions now um, as the Public Utility Commission is already scheduled to sunset in the 2023 session, there is discussion because all three of those utilities are so extremely complex to move the electricity over to uh, Texas Railroad Commission, water back to the Texas Water Board, and Telcom being the unique entity that it is in a competitive environment, um, having its own governing uh, uh, governing body. Whether it will be called the Public Utility Commission or not, we're not sure what that will be. But this kind of lays the groundwork for the direction that this industry is going. And it is ultimately extremely important to have this focus group for rural areas as we see fewer and fewer representation and fewer and fewer people that understand rural anything, frankly. I've always said it, it doesn't really matter if, unless if you're in rural law enforcement, rural banking, rural insurance, rural telecom, rural anything, you're fighting for relevancy with regards to our state laws and regulations. And to have an office and an entity that's focused exclusively on rural broadband access and availability, we, we feel is a good thing. Um, you know, at, at BBT, we have, we're comprised of such an amazing team that punches over its weight in any forum. Uh, you know, this area garners national attention, whether it's the, you know, 18,000 square miles that BBT serves or the 485 miles of U.S.-Mexico border that we serve, all of it having its own unique characteristics. It is truly an honor for this team to represent this region at both the federal and state level and help affect appropriate change uh, that positively impacts rural citizens of this area that we're so passionate about. That is a, a perfect segue into my next uh, topic here. So Big Ben Telephone um, developed kind of a rapid response last March for students um, who were needing access so that they could go to, go to school. Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. It is one of my favorite topics. I'm surrounded by such an incredible, passionate group of professionals about the communities and the region that they serve. We were one of the first carriers in the nation to adopt the FCC Keep America Connected Pledge, 
when that came about in March. You know, none of this came with a playbook. None of it came with an instruction manual. You just had to really peel back the layers and focus on your passion for what you can do for the community with the skills that you have. And so we relied on our technological base. And not only we were one of the first carriers to adopt that pledge, which of course made sure you did not disconnect anyone for non-pay. You had, you know, you connect, kept uh, services connected. Um, you know, you you made sure that as they as people fell into these situations of unemployment or deferred employment, that you made sure that they did have a base of, of technology uh, to stay to stay connected and maybe you know keep working if they're able to or, or stay uh, keep educating their their kids. Uh, we were also the first small carrier in Texas to file notice of our emergency operations plan. Fortunately, a number of years prior to this, um, adhering to our annual filing of our emergency operations plan with the Public Utility Commission, we actually did a tabletop exercise on a pandemic. And it was kind of interesting. We, we pulled that out of the archives. We dusted it off. We, 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 we freshened it up, up, you know, updated it. And uh, it became a very good playbook on, uh, on what we needed to do, whether it was creating an emergency operations IT box uh, for employees that may have to stay at home with kids or, you know, heaven forbid, contracted the virus. We had a box for them to work from home, which they were able to do. We were prepared for that because we had gone through this exercise previously and had thought these things through. Kind of like a th- theoretical it was all mm, theoretical. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it, a tabletop yeah. exercise, and uh, we actually and we filed that, you know, as as our annual filing for the PUC. And we kind of we kind of role played about what ifs. We had used wildfires, we had used other natural disasters in the past, but uh, this one happened to be on a pandemic, and um, so fortunately, we had actually thought some of this through. Um, that EOP was actually used on a national level as a template for companies to use and help kind of fill in some gaps of some areas that they may have not thought about that, you know, in, in the past. That, that's something I was really proud of the team that had put that together and uh, had thought that through because we were able to use that. Other companies were able to use that, not only in the state, but uh, across the nation. Based on, based on Big Ben's program. Based on Big Ben's program. And the first thing we did in the 11 counties that we served is we personally reached out to uh, anchor institutions, elected officials, health clinics, school districts, hospital administrators, county judges, sheriff's departments. We didn't present, this is what we can do for you. We asked them, what can we do for you? What is it that you need? What is unique in your area to help navigate this, these uncharted waters? Every single one of them across 11 counties responded with a different need. It may have been custom calling features. You know, you hear that voice is dead. Voice is not dead in disaster. People need to talk to each other. Whether we're setting up a call blast for medical professionals so a hospital administrator can one touch dial and talk to, you know, the department heads within the group. I mean, there was any number of things that we did, including making the... uh, access to broadband over a commercial grade Wi-Fi available to DHS, to sheriff's deputies, to Rio Grande Electric technicians, bless her arts, who were out trying to keep power going during all of this mess as well. 
um, we provided them access to all of our remote cabinets across an 18,000 square mile footprint. Anywhere they could find a cabinet, they had access to, to the internet. They had access to their home office. Many of these are not covered by mobile coverage over this put, footprint. We're only seeing about 12% of uh, mobile coverage over this entire area. And so that became a lifeline for a number of these individuals that were working to, you know, to, to help citizens of the counties, you know, through this mess, whether regardless of the, of the particular situation. One, one crown jewel during all of this is with the 10 districts we worked on, our engineering group, our, our sales group, our customer service representatives, everyone got together and, and helped create a scenario where we extended the school's networks out to the homes of identified kids that did not have broadband access. Uh, we didn't get the children's names for, for privacy reasons. We kept all of that governed by the school. The school gave us locations that we needed to connect and we had teams working seven days a week. Um, just they were, they were so emotionally invested in what we were trying to accomplish as these schools emptied to extend the networks to those schools. So, you know, the, the schools have content filtering in place. All, everything that they use to educate our kids, all those tools stayed in play. BBT networks simply became an extension of the school's networks as the schools were empty. And that was a model that we were really, really proud of because um, the IT administrators only had to worry about the end devices that they were providing as well as, you know, the core of the school network. And we handled the network in between. And uh, that worked out really, really well. Um, we hooked up over 117 hotspots that were directly connected to the schools specifically for student access. We used every single medium we had at our disposal, whether it was DSL, whether it was fixed wireless, whether it was our fiber networks, whether it was hotspots, whatever we could do to, to extend that educational opportunity to those kids uh, from our end, Sheffield, all the way to Valentine, down at Presidio, you know, Fort Davis, Fort Stockton, all of these school districts that had a unique need, the BBT team was able to fill in ACES, and that's something I am monumentally proud of how everyone worked together to do that with the community spirit. How many students were y'all able to connect? You know, we didn't have an exact number necessarily because really all of that stayed within within the schools, but um, we had we had well over a hundred in Presidio alone right. uh, that were identified. So mm -hmm. you know, when you set up a controlled, when you set up a, a secure hotspot, um, you don't necessarily know how many kids are attached sure. to it necessarily. And so, uh, but but um, I think hundreds is not an exaggeration across ten school districts. So, you also have an idea for how those students can get identified in the future. Um, and possibly um, qualify for a discount rate for broadband. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. And, there, and there's a number of programs that are out there, whether it's emergency broadband benefit program that's happening right now. Uh, those are tied predominantly to Lifeline, uh, low-income uh, houses. That is a very finite program. Um, but from a, from a school standpoint, there's already a very, a very well-structured program 
that's that's managed by the USDA, which is the school lunch program, a reduced lunch program, and parents will fill out forms at the start of the year, and and uh, how those forms are filled out also drives the type of discount that the schools would receive from E-Rate with regards to their broadband technology. Mm-hmm. It would be great, I think, if we were to extend that and and create a technology component a residential technology component for those same kids, for those same families using that same mechanism. Um, I had the the opportunity to speak with Jessica Rosenworcel at one time. She worked for Senator Rockefeller. She became a a FCC commissioner. She is now the chair of the FCC and someone that holds my respect, I mean, uh, considerably with what she's done. She really liked that idea. She gave Big Ben kudos whenever we uh, initiated that program with these districts. And we're seeing some traction at a national level where that um, you know, could very well become a reality and, uh, of, of how school districts, you know, how, how ISPs and how telecom infrastructure providers can play a role within the educational opportunities of these kids, if at home. You know, the idea was for us to focus on the network and let the educators focus on educating these kids. We're all trying to do what we do best. And I know it was without exception, the IT directors were very thankful that they did not have to worry about the network between the school and the students' homes. They only had to worry about dealing with passwords, dealing with end user equipment, dealing with the integrity of the devices that they were providing. BBT was also critical in that in a number of areas. We we made desktop syst- uh, uh, setups available. We made laptops available. Anything that we could provide that would help in any way, shape, or form as needed, uh, we were able to do so, including cr- community support with regards to supporting local businesses. And, you know, we, we committed about $20,000 to local restaurants and we would buy gift certificates at a local restaurant and provide them to first responders or provide them to, you know, a, a porters, uh, stalkers, which were so important, you know, during that time. I mean, I, I just I can't say enough good things about how this community responded for the community. You know, if and, you know, so much of what we did was not just for BBT customers. It was for residents of these communities. They may be a customer of some other ISP, but we were able to help in some form or fashion. If we could grab that energy and that enthusiasm and and keep that type of momentum in every day that we live, in every decision that we make, and continue to pay that forward, we would see a lot of traction, a lot of good in this region. Absolutely. Rusty, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for being the first one. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. <clears throat> Before you go, I, I do want to touch on the fact that that all of these things, that all of these ideas that you're trying to implement at BBT – and the services that you offer, I think it really plays to the core of what we do in this corner of West Texas, which is we always try to implement, do more for our community and overlap that where, you know, if you if you were a company, let's say in Dallas, the only thing you care about is that competitive edge, I imagine. Right. Uh, but because it's here and, you know, you're trying to implement, you know, into the schools and you're trying to help out the schools. And I love that idea of adding on to that form of, you know, adding that technology component for the for families in need and things like that. So I want to thank you for the work that you do at BBT. And I want to thank you, of course, for being the first one here for Hear Me Out, here with Betsy Esparza and, and I, Hector Montemayor Perez. 
it'll be hopefully a good long running show and hopefully the the audience gets a good kind of informative outlook on a lot of these things and of course uh if we ever need to contact you or uh what phone number can people call for big bbt uh good phone number is 432-364-1000 and we'd be happy to visit with you um on any topic frankly we are a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Betsy, any last words? That's it for me today. Thanks. All right. I want to thank everybody else for tuning in and listening in. And uh, right now, we'll just go back to your regularly scheduled programming. Remember, this will be every Tuesday after the evening news, after TSN Sports. So start marketing in your calendars and start kind of getting that habit in. This has been Hear Me Out with Betsy Esparza. <laughs>